0: You're listening to a message from Hope Central in Adelaide, South Australia. If you would like to know more about Hope Central or any of our ministries, please visit hopecentral.org.au. Life was, uh, as a teenager, I spent a lot of my time in the bush. Now, don't think of an uh, Aussie bush with a bunch of, you know, that kind of background. Think about Canadian bush on the side of a mountain. Lots and lots of trees, lots and lots of open space, lots and lots of mountains. And I used to ride my motorbike everywhere that, in the mountains and had a great time. One of the things that was always looking for when I was riding my motorbike was a tree that had fallen over like this. Like everywhere where I lived, got great huge storms, would blow some of the trees over at times like that. And every time I would find a really substantial tree that had blown over like this, I'd make a note of where it was because me and my buddy were going to come back and chop it up. Because we had a firewood business. I loved dead trees. Where, where we lived was right on the edge, the suburb that where I finished, where my suburb finished. After that was Crown Land. It was all you know government-owned. And one of the rules about Crown Land was you could never cut down a living tree. If you did, you could be in a lot of trouble. Now, a lot of people did, and by the way, I did, but the rules were... You could never cut up a living, standing tree without permission. You Basically, people bought that privilege to harvest Canada's trees. You couldn't just go take them. But if there was one that had blown over in a storm and it was dead, you could go and you could help yourself. And I found that finding dead trees was a unique thing. That is the exact opposite of what Jesus found when he came to earth. In his view, all of humanity had blown over. In his perspective of the way that people are, instead of being rooted and connected to what could possibly cause us to prosper, what could possibly cause us to be fruitful, if if you went into an apple orchard and you found an apple tree blown over and pulled up from its roots, would you think that that tree could be fruitful? No, you just know that whatever fruit is on the tree is all there's ever going to be. There's never going to be a more. There's never going to be another season. When Jesus comes to the world, he notices that humanity has lost its fruitfulness. It can't produce like it's supposed to produce. And Jesus says the way that that's supposed to happen is you're supposed to be connected to him. Because if you're connected to Jesus Christ, your life will be fruitful. I love how he says this here in John 15, verse 4. Abide in me, and I in you. Because as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine... Neither can you unless you abide in me. Now, I've decided to put at the end there, what if you don't know this? What if, what if what if most people in the world think that the way that their life is going to be fruitful does not come out of the consequence of knowing Jesus or having a relationship with Him or, or having His power at work in their life? What if they think that the way that a fruitful life comes is because they, I don't know, do something? Like, what do we do if we don't know it, or if we're trying to produce fruit from our own life? Well, I guess there's really only a few options, right? We could either work hard, we've got to chase our dreams, we've got to pursue love, we've got to live our destiny. One of the things that I, I love about, about young people, because uh, I was a youth pastor for years, I love young people are just so unrealistic. You you say, what do you want to be in life? And they absolutely believe that they're going to do something amazing, that it's going to turn out awesome, that it's going to be super fun, that they're going to meet that passionate person that they love, and they're going to live in love their entire lives. And I just love seeing them like that. They're so great, and I love to break their little hearts. No. The world is going to do just fine at breaking their little hearts. You see, people think that if they do this hard work, if they do chase those dreams, if they do pursue that love, if they do live their identity, that they will find life. But the problem really is, how do you know what to work hard for? Like, exactly what is the project that you're working on? And, and what dream are you supposed to chase? Because there's a lot of bad dreams. And what, what about is there and what love is worth pursuing? One of the things that I learn about people through relationship counseling is there's always a moment in a relationship where you wonder whether it's not it's worth pursuing. Don't, don't you agree? Because you are not allowed to agree. You were 100% convinced that I was always going to be awesome. That there's a time in life where you think, is this the love that is going to fulfill me like I think it's going to fulfill me? Or is it time to ditch the plan and to try somebody else? So how do you know which love is the love that you should be chasing your entire life? And then again, how do you even know what your destiny is? I have, this, I have this idea in my head that I might have accidentally been born in the wrong country and I could have actually been an awesome cricketer. But since in Canada, no one plays cricket except for expats and we make fun of them, that I never learned that I was an awesome cricketer. But what if I spent my entire life made for one thing, but had no idea what that was, and so I lived for something else? It's very confusing. In Romans chapter 12, verses 2 to 3, we have some solutions. But the solutions are maybe not what you think. There's an offer here in Romans chapter 12 where he makes, uh, he's made a, a case for life in Jesus Christ that is going to end in this decision. It's going to come... When you do something that's going to help you to know exactly what you're looking for, he says it like this. He says, Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you can discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. He starts out with this line that I would love you to consider yourself. Do not be conformed to this world. Is it possible that the way that you think about your life has been conformed to a pattern that is not appropriate for you? The way that you think about your purpose, the way you think about what your true destiny is has been conformed to something that's not you. He says you need to be transformed, and that's going to come by seeing your, your mind renewed. Why do we need this renewal of the mind? Well, he says it's for very two very important things. Number one, so that we can discern God's will. And he puts it in this wonderful way. God's will, whatever it is, is good, acceptable, and Perfect. And he says the second thing is, why we need the renewed mind, is so that we can think of ourselves with sober judgment. We all know what people think of themselves when they are not sober. Right? It is never rational and it's never right. I'm awesome. I can do anything. Or I'm a loser. I can't accomplish anything. One of the 2 unsober judgment is going to leave you in the wrong place. But we need this help in order to both discern God's will and also even understand and know who we are. Do you think it's possible that we don't know God's will for us? Do you think it's possible that we don't know God's will for us? I just want you to consider this. Secondly, do you think it's possible that you don't know who you really are? These are two very big questions, right? Like, is it possible that you could live your entire life never having known what God's will was, the person who made you? And then secondly, you could also live your entire life as a falsehood of who you really were. You never lived your true self. You only lived a reaction to the events that created those moments. This is one of the things that makes me question this. In Psalm 139, David speaks from a revelation. He speaks of this revelation about God's interest in him, God's pursuit of him, and God's help for him in his life. And in the middle of this psalm, he speaks one of the most beautiful reflections on what it's like to have been created by God for a purpose. But he knows something that I think evades a lot of us. He says this, I wonder if you look at yourself with that same sense of wonder and passion. Do you think about yourself and go, wow, do you ever stand, let's not call it naked, but, you know, just like in front of the mirror in some sort of reflective way where you're looking at your appearance, and do you ever say, wow, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wow, isn't that awesome? Have a look at that! You know, and take a selfie and send it out. Yeah, I don't I don't know. That's not the not the naked one, no, but uh, I don't know. I, I'll tell you, for me, a lot of times if it's just about appearance, I'm looking in the mirror going, why would you make me like that? That's I'm not there's no a lot of approval going on. There's just a lot of well, I have this little growth between the edge of my nose and my cheek. Can you see that? Do you know who else has that little, I don't know, bubble? It's not not a mole. It's just like a little bulbous third nose. I don't know. It's like I wanted to have three nostrils, but it didn't happen. you know who else has that? Barack Obama. And from that, I've tried to concoct a theory about world leadership, uh, uh, I, 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 I think fearfully and wonderfully, that, you know, okay, but I don't even think, I mean, David probably wasn't obsessed with mirrors, but I'm sure he looked at his life and said this, you wonderful are your works, and my soul knows it, my soul gives approval to what I am seeing, there is something good, pleasing, and perfect about this. And I love it when I get to reflect on it. He says, your eyes saw my unformed substance in your, in your book were written, every one of them. The days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God, and how vast is the sum of them. He says, your thoughts about me and the planning that you put into creating me is amazing. And I'm so grateful that I get to understand that my life is planned with a purpose and I can know it. I can walk in it. I can live out this destiny that you created me for. It's something that he knows deep inside of him and it sustains him in the long vision of his life. But do you, we know that. Do you know that? Identity and purpose is what everybody craves. So do we make it up? Is it how we look? Do, do, we, do we feel our identity? What label do we give ourselves growing up? I, you, do you ever watch that show Friends? I know I'm dating myself, aging myself. Hey? Friends? You ever watch your friend? You kind of, all right. It's like on some repeat thing on Netflix somewhere or something. You can watch it if you like. But the thing about Friends that, that I thought was so brilliant and then found it was a trap is that every character in the Friends stories all had different personalities. You had the sciency one, you had the quirky one, you had the obsessive one, you had the fashionable one. Anyway, I'm forgetting who else is on there. But they're all something. And as you watch the show, you begin to identify with one of the characters, and you see, <laughs> I'm like Chandler. I'm the funny one. <laughs> you can agree or not agree. I, like I, it's, it's up to your your kind of chuckling. I don't know if that's compassion, <laughs> ignorance, outright derision. No. <laughs> I'm over Ross one. I'm the sciencey. I've never seen myself like that. <laughs> Better than the Joey one who's obsessed about sex. So, but, but the thing about when we see these images of ourselves, we kind of end up classifying ourselves within these visions of humanity that we've seen. I can be that, I can be that, I can be that, I can be that. And once you label yourself as that, you end up living like that. And is it true of you? I want to confess to you that I've been in Sports Girl last weekend. (laughs) Now, I don't shop in Sports Girl for the too obvious reason. I'm not great at sports. I'm not a girl. (laughs) They were trying to advertise to me. They lost me at the label. So I was wandering around Sports Girl because Dottie was looking for something um, because we were just in Melbourne and we got a three hour shopping window. So it was a very highly planned, disciplined, military exercise where we visited as many shops as possible and emptied our pockets as quickly as possible. There is a time factor on these things. So we shopped in the shop and as I'm walking around Sports Girl, I'm seeing all this advertising up everywhere um, that there follows this uh, Be That Girl campaign. Hashtag, be that girl. Oh, now I can't be that girl, so I'm not a girl. Um, they probably will find a way to include me, though. <laughs> uh, and as I'm walking around, there's these, there's these posters and pictures describing sports girls' passion to help you define yourself. So you can be the sleepy one. <laughs> Hands up. <laughs> like, a, like, are we talking about the dwarves? <laughs> I'm going to be the Snow White one. No, I'm the sleepy one. I'm the mates one. I'm the arty one. I'm the queer one. I'm the global one. I'm the bold one. I'm the Aussie one. I'm the sports one. And I thought, as I'm walking around and seeing all of that, I'm thinking, what are you trying to do? What, do you, what do you message are you trying to sell your customers? What, obviously, it's, it's lost on me, but what exactly are you trying to represent yourself at? So I thought I'd go to their website. The Sports Girls website says this. "This is You're going to quote me later. It no, <laughs> doesn't hold a biblical weight. We all know a new top isn't going to change your life or make you a better person. They're just putting that out there. It's not scientifically proven. It's a deeply held belief. A new top is not going to make you a better person. But finding the outfit that looks great on you and can be your own hype girl gives you the confidence to express the you you want to be today. We believe that fashion is less about fitting in and more about reflecting your own creativity, individuality, and identity. Sorry, it's the Barack Obama thing coming out of (laughs) me. Difference doesn't scare us. We'll never tell you what to wear. We'll just give you options to do you it probably really shouldn't be narrated by Clint Eastwood but <laughs> 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 but do you, do you see in the advertising that they're trying to meet a person's need the person need who walks in the stores they're trying to be themselves they're trying to declare themselves. They're trying to express themselves. They're trying to be confident in that person that they are somehow imagined that themselves to be. And they think that by wearing a certain amount of clothing is going to somehow identify them as that. And then they can confidently live it out. But really, the reality is that no amount of clothing is going to make you feel confident about who you really are. But we just keep buying the clothing. Or, or what do you buy? Maybe you're walking into a different shop, or maybe you're employed in a different way, or maybe you're working to a different girl, but it's all about image. Reflecting your own creativity, individuality, and identity. How do we know what that is? Is it possible to get that from the wrong place? And then why does it take so much work and money to be the person that you want to be? If you have to try so hard to be it, then maybe you're not it. If it costs so much, Then you have to buy it. Then maybe it's not you. Shouldn't something come out more authentically? And what about purpose? What are we here for? What is our unique contribution? Do we really matter? You know, Solomon, when he writes his book, Ecclesiastes on Wisdom, starts out at the low point. He says, Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanities of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? This is the guy that could shop at Jerusalem in the 1000 BC sports girl shop, sports man. You're like, "Ah." He, he had everything that he could possibly find that would somehow create his sense of purpose, create his sense of identity, and he can't find any of Like, this is all vanity. I'm so sick of it. But Romans chapter 12, verse 2 creates a whole new vision for possibility for us. He says, Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may be able to discern. What is the will of God? What is good and acceptable and perfect? Th- those words ex- inspired me. The word good means profitable and right. Like it, it kind of expresses a sense of that if, if you were to find the most noblest person on earth and you told them how your life, what happened in your life, they would go, wow, that was a good life. Because it is profitable for people and it was right. It was exactly the right fit for you. It was exactly lived to the truth of reality. It's good. That was a good life. And it's also acceptable. Which it's, The word acceptable seems a lot weaker than word the Greek word comes out of. Which means it gives you good pleasure. It's pleasing. It's not just like, eh, that'll do. It's like, wow, that's the one that makes me feel good about what just happened. That pleases me. Wouldn't you like to live a life that you go reflect on and go, wow, that made me so fulfilled. And he also says it's a complete life. It's perfect. Like at the end of a story, one of the things that I I, I read a lot of books, and one of the things when I read a book or, or watch a movie that tells a story, I am always so upset if the story ending does not match what the story was leading me up to. You ever like that? And and sometimes I'll read, like, long scientific science fiction series that can be, like, six, seven books long. And the final book, if it doesn't complete, if it's not the perfect conclusion to that dynamic story, I feel really upset. Derek and I, we complain about this all of the time. We're like, throw it down in disgust. Except Derek reads on Kindle, so don't ever throw down in (laughs) disgust because you break it. But imagine getting to the end of your life And going perfect that went perfect a life to live the worthwhile life that makes you sigh with pleasure at how complete that it was now how do you get there how do you get this renewed mind I want to tell you in just a couple of minutes how to have the renewed mind Romans chapter 12 verses 1 and 2 says I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. The transforming of your mind comes out of a step of worship where you submit yourself to Christ and you let your life be used as an application of worship to his glory. I think that as we're talking about this month, about living on a prayer, living in the prayer that Jesus prayed for us in John 17, I've I've thought about these words. Uh, Please don't Don't lose my attention. Don't you lose my attention of me now. Hmm. If that at all encouraged you to pay attention, you're on your own. (laughs) Jesus praised this prayer that I've that I've thought about for many, many years. But these prayers are the necessary prayers that bring us into true life. And he praised this for himself. He says, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to those, to all whom you have given him. Jesus' prayer is this. Jesus asked the father that he would be glorified in your life. And you might think, well, Jesus, you're getting a lot of wins here then, aren't you? you? You get the glory, you get the honor, you get the praise. How is that good for me? And in our world, where we obsess about our own individuality and our own opportunities and our own lives, it doesn't make sense to us. But Jesus is saying, if I don't ask for this, then nothing else in your life will work. If the Father does not answer this prayer with yes, then you can't live your life either. Jesus said, unless I am made the center of all life, nobody's life will work after that. So Jesus prays to the Father and says, please, Father, can you glorify me because I'm the one that gives life to everyone? And the Father said, yes. The greatest gift God gave to you in Christ is the opportunity for him to be the Lord that you worship. The greatest gift. The biggest thing, the most special thing, the biggest opportunity for you to live your life is for him to be your Lord. And Jesus prayed that you would have the grace that it takes to completely let him Take over because his mind does not need to be renewed. His purpose and plans don't need to be fixed. He's on the right track. We just have to be in him. And he says this in John 15:4 it's two abidings, not one. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. If if you're asking yourself right now, what am I supposed to do? Where am I supposed to go? How do I know who I am? What is the direction I'm supposed to take and the choices I'm supposed to make and what am I supposed to commit to and how am I supposed to know how to make it through every day? What am I supposed to do? Jesus says, here's the best thing you can do. Live in me, and let me live in you. If you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior, not only are you in Christ, but Christ Jesus, the Lord of the universe, the guy with the answers, lives in you. And you get to have every guidance and every help that you need because he's dwelling inside of you. If you're making up your own identity on your own perspective or making up your purpose on your own perspective, if you're a Christian, you don't have to. You can let Christ illuminate that for you and tell you what you are to be. And if you are not in Christ, if you are not in him and he is not in you, then you are an uprooted tree. Your life is without roots and you cannot produce the fruit that your life was made to bear. So I think the most important thing that we might do every single day is simply submit our lives to worship. And say, Jesus, please be the Lord, the guiding spirit, the person of truth. And in that submission, you might think, how does it give me an answer? What it gives you a renewed mind. So that you can see the answer, so that you can see the truth, so that you can walk in the person that you truly are and really rejoice in it. Because whatever God leads you to be, whatever he leads you to do, it'll be good, pleasing and perfect. So Father, as we come to this time of worship and prayer, I ask that by your Holy Spirit you would reveal to us the possibilities that our lives bear when they're submitted to you. I pray that you would encourage every single person to know that you are a good and a faithful Lord that will lead us into good and fruitful places, wonderful, joyful things that our souls will know very well. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to submit ourselves to you right now. I want you to ask yourself a question right now. Are you abiding in Christ? Do you know that Christ abides in you? Are you abiding in him? Is the life that you need, the purpose that you need, the fulfillment that you need, is it coming from him or is it coming from you? Are you working for something? Or are you receiving something from Jesus? Uh, I would love for you just to take this moment right now and resubmit your life to Christ if you have already. But also if you've never received Jesus and submitted to him, that you would take this moment to become part of his vine, to be grafted into him so that you can get life from him so we simply pray dear jesus we recognize that you are the lord that you are christ that you have died for us and were raised from the dead that you are now reigning as the sovereign king over the heavens and the earth and that you alone have wisdom and so we submit to you jesus We give our our bodies as instruments of worship. We give our, our hearts to glorify you. We submit to you as our Lord and our Savior. And we pray that you would renew our minds. That you would transform our understandings. That we would know the questions, the answers to the questions that our hearts need answers in. Lord, help us, we pray. Turn the thinking in our hearts and in our minds so that it it reflects who you are, so it, it becomes authentic to the way that you've made us to be. Lord, turn us. As we submit to you, we pray that you would lead us into that good, pleasing, and perfect life. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you can be our Lord. And we are grateful, Father, that you gave us Jesus to save us and to be the Lord of our lives. Lord, we pray that as we enter this time of worship that you would help us to glorify you and worship you. And that as we worship you, Lord, that you give us the answers, the guidance, all of the truth that you need to us to know. Lord, we pray that you would reveal yourself in this worship. We pray in Jesus' name. You've been listening to a message from Hope Central in Adelaide, South Australia. If you want more information about who we are, visit us at hopecentral.org.au or join us for Sunday worship at any of our three campuses.